0: Hi there, it's Andrew here for Golden Christian Assembly, Home Bible Study Podcast. And we're continuing our studies and Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Home Bible Studies in Hebrews. We're on to study number eight now A Greater Priesthood Changes Everything, Chapter. 7 of the Hebrew letter. Well this is really we're getting to the very heart of the Hebrew letter. We've we've looked at so many things coming up to this point but now we're going to delve into the, the depths of it uh, and this is therefore not easy. No one said that, that the argument here was particularly easy. In fact put, uh, the writer has been avoiding um, mentioning the very complexities of this argument up to this point. Probably for several reasons. Um, they're not at a place that they can necessarily understand at all um, as he's been explaining to them. But now as he gets to this point he is going to unpack it and, and show them how important it is not only to understand that Christ's priesthood is superior but that there are things that follow from that. There are real implications for Judaism that follow from the the priesthood of Christ uh, for his people. And so that really is where we're going and thinking now in the argument. Uh, in chapter seven, we're going to see that there's a greater salvation associated with this. And, and he's contrasting the priesthood here and he comes to the end of, of chapter number seven and he's going to, to set out Uh, This very clearly, as he says at the end, uh, he's able, uh, such a high priest was fitting for us. uh, Verse 25, therefore he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's where he's going in his argument. He's going to say how much greater the salvation that we have now is in comparison to the salvation, uh, whether it be the national salvation of the Jewish people or, or or aspects of the salvation that even Old Testament believers had. So a greater salvation is is chapter number uh, seven, as he contrasts these two priesthood. Uh, but not only a greater salvation, in chapter number eight, he's going to show that the covenant's now different. The the, the covenant that they were under, Sinai, Moses, Moses, uh, the law of Moses and uh, and all the things that were associated with that. Now he's going to speak about the new covenant. And so what he's going to say is that, that this superior high priest now brings a greater supply to us. A more wonderful covenant uh, is associated with the high priesthood of Christ. A grace covenant, uh, a unilateral covenant, a uh, uh, unconditional covenant. We will try to unpack that when we get to chapter number 8. Then we come to chapter nine he 's going to say that there 's a greater sanctuary in other words it 's not like the old testament were or even the the Jews as they they saw their high priest disappear into the temple and and go into the the holy place in the temple or in the tabernacle before then, but now the the the, the tabernacle or the, the the sanctuary is so much more vast he 'll speak about that in chapter nine and then of course he 'll focus in in chapter Ten. On a greater sacrifice, you see these old Testament sacrifices and everything that was associated with them. It was leading up to the final sacrifice the the one sacrifice for sins that that is associated with the death of the Messiah himself with the the great high priest who who um, who will now enter into the the, in, in behind a veil in virtue of the blood that he shed at Calvary. And so the offering, the sacrifice that makes all the difference, that that puts uh, value on every other sacrifice if you like, that was the fact that they pointed forward to the sacrifice of Christ. An easy way of illustrating that I think is to look at the the money that we have in our hands. And you'll, you'll see a 5 or £10 pound note has a promise to pay the bearer on demand uh, £5 pounds or £10. Pounds. And of course, um, while it's not true, but for many, many years, um, equivalent stocks of gold bunion would have to be kept in the Bank of England. Why? Because in a sense, all you have in your hand is a little slip of paper that is not valuable in and of itself. Just in as much as it points to the factor is the real thing in a gold vault in the Bank of England in London. Um, so what we're saying, going to say about the sacrifices when we get there is they, that they pointed forward all those sacrifices in the Old Testament. They did not have inherent value of themselves. They pointed forward. Their value was only in as much as they pointed forward to the sacrifice for sins. That was offered at Calvary. And so we'll get there in our studies. But we're only in study number eight now. So a greater priesthood changes everything. We had a lovely time together. Uh, considering these things. So I trust that as we do so. and uh, As we think through these things. That you might be blessed. Uh, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father uh, we come to uh, you. In the name of the Lord Jesus. We, we thank you for the privilege. Of opening thy word. And we will pray now as we look into it together that we might be blessed in the Lord's name. Amen. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 7. I'll break it down just for your information for the way I think fits uh, just at the beginning here by saying in the first three verses I think we're going to have a description of Melchizedek. Who is this man? Now if you haven't, if you don't know where we are and you're just jumping into this podcast, I recommend you go back not to the last one, podcast number uh, seven, but to the one before that, podcast number six. Because there I kind of tried to show the differences and distinctions in a general way between the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron, and the Melchizedek priesthood. So suggestion, if you don't know what I'm speaking about, go back to podcast number six and study number six. But here we're the description of Melchizedek. We'll think about that in Hebrews chapter 7, 1 to 3. Um, We'll read that passage. And then uh, from verse number 4 to 10, we'll read another section. The dignity of Melchizedek, I've called that. And we're going to see how how this man was superior even to Abraham, no less. Uh, And so we'll see the dignity of Melchizedek. And then from verse number 11 uh, to verse uh, 25, um, well, really to, to verse number 20, 28, right at the end of the passage, uh, we have what we might call the distinctiveness of Christ's priesthood and the implications that come from that. Now that he's established that he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek superior in so many ways, there are some massive implications for these Jewish Christians, these Christians that are kind of on this borderline between Judaism and Christianity, many of them true believers in Christ, but wanting to cling on to, are reluctant at least to shift their feet completely away from Judaism. And, and what's going to happen here is the question is really in the background can I stick with the Jewish high priest also? I mean, I've got a a great high priest in heaven, I know that, I know Christ is there, but can I not just hang on to a little bit of this Judaism? And really that's where we come to uh, in verse number 11, uh, right down to 25, and we'll think about that in quite a lot of detail. But first of all, let's go back to verse number 1 to 3. We'll read it. Uh, In fact, we'll read through the chapter. I'll just give you the the brief headings as we go through so you can follow on in in your thoughts. And then we'll go back and we'll try to unpack some of the the basic truths found in this beautiful and interesting and intricate chapter of the Word of God. So Hebrews 7, verse 1 to 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Now this is a section... The description of Melchizedek. You can see that even from the start here. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor of end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. That's his description. Moving on to the next section. The dignity of Melchizedek. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy does not derive from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes. But there he received them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. That's the dignity of Melchizedek. What a man he is. Now let's look at the last section from verse 11 to 28. Therefore, if perfection... You'll notice the therefore there, by the way. It's important you see what's happening here. He's he's established something and now he's going to build a, a case on it. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, of necessity there's also a change in the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from whom no one uh, has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come. Not according to the law of a fleshy commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and profitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's a bringing in of a better hope through, whom, through which we draw nigh to God. Look at verse number uh, 20. Now, and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not let, relent, your priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues ever has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to bring intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, then for the people, for this he did once. For all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. And we know God blesses his word to us. Now, as I say, there are a number of complex arguments in this passage, as you'll see already, but Remembering the Jewish background and remembering the diagram that I've shared with you um, on previous occasions, and it's actually in the, the the text of this handout as well. If you go, if you're listening to the podcast, and as long as you're not in the iTunes podcast, but on the other podcast, you'll be able to click and download the um, the handout as well. Well, if you remember that diagram, I was trying to emphasize, it's called tensions, the tensions in Hebrews, emphasize how these Jews, Jewish Christians are kind of stuck in the middle here. On one side there's Judaism and it's all about types and shadows and the incomplete and the elementary, but it's all about things that are tangible, that are seen, that are, that they can be drawn towards. you remember that their whole background was associated with that. And so, there's there are pressures to calls, as it were, back to Judaism. On the other hand, there's Christ, and He is the antitype to all types, and He is the substance to all shadows, and He is the fulfilment of all the incomplete things in the Old Testament, and He is the 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 perfect one, the one who is perfected for for every task that He has. In co- and, and there's this this movement towards Christ that they have made in their profession or confession of faith in him. Now, in that diagram, you'll notice that there there are, on the diagram, mature believers, those who are understanding that Christ and Judaism are, are mutually exclusive, and they need encouragement just to really come forward into that ground more. And then there's perhaps immature believers that, who have become dull of hearing. And they're fixating on the ABCs of Judaism. And this is leading to concern, see, chapter 5, verse 11 to 6, verse 12. And then there's perhaps among them some professing believers. They profess Christ and they understand his reality, but they've not truly trusted him for salvation. They've not come into the land, as it were. They've not entered not the land of Canaan, but the land of, of, of Christ in that picture form that I'm speaking about. It's a really dangerous position, that, because if they go back, there's a danger that they'll go back to perdition. They'll go back to uh, perdition. And so that that's the kind of groups that are within the, the group of professing Christians. And then, of course, on the out side of that diagram, you'll notice there's the Jews and they possess the temples and the outward religion and they've been persecuting, but they're also attractive. And, and the danger is in the sense that that they'll attract some of those around the edges back to Judaism and stop them from moving forward into all they have in Christ. And what the writer's wanting to do is move them into Christian thinking and onto Christian ground. It's really important we get that because it'll help us as we come to this passage where we're speaking about the great high priest who's in heaven after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, we have spoken about much about this already, so I, do, I don't want to go back over that stuff too much. But we're going to look at Melchizedek in a bit more detail now. And we're going to see from this chapter something about um, not only the greatness of Melchizedek, but what that really means for them in their situation and what it means for us by extension today. So let's think about each of these sections just for a few minutes each. The description of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, if we stop there, you'll notice first there's his name, Melchizedek, which means uh, king of righteousness. And then he's called king of Salem. That's Jerusalem, it would seem. Jerusalem, before it was called Jerusalem, it seems it was called Salem. We're going back to Genesis 14 here. Uh, The first reference to Melchizedek. Now, you see what's ha- going to happen here. You see, he, these Jewish Christians are surrounded by Jews who will come to them and say, We have the scriptures in our side. We've got the scriptures which say that Aaron was the, is to be the high priest and Aaron's family is to be the high priest. Uh, and we've got all these scriptures and they're all for, for us. And, and you're going away from the scriptures when you're going away from us. You see how difficult that is? Because some people will still come to us as Christians today and say, well, why do you not follow this scripture? It's in the Old Testament, uh, and so, so how do we answer them? Well, because Christ has come and He has moved us on from many of the Old Testament practices. He's moved them on us on the Christian uh, New Testament grounds, and really, this is where they were at. They're at the this. They're at the what you might term the the very crossroads of that in early uh, Christianity, uh, and so we have. The priest of the Most High God—that's what he's called here. He met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings. Go back to Genesis fourteen. This is one of the times we come across Melchizedek. The other time in the Old Testament is in Genesis, or sorry, in in Psalm one hundred and ten, and then we have him in the New Testament only in the Hebrew Epistle. So the three times, all gather them together, and we try to understand. Exactly what's meant by this man, Melchizedek, what we learn from him. And of course, all these Jewish Christians have were the two Old Testament passages. So what he's going to focus on in this chapter is those two passages. And what we can learn about Melchizedek and we'll learn about the priesthood of the Messiah, the priesthood of Christ. So let's see what we can learn. The description of Melchizedek. He's the priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed him. Notice he's blessing Abraham. You'll see that. And the idea behind that is that he is conferring a blessing on him. And therefore he is greater than Abraham because, as we'll see in a minute, the less is blessed by the better. To whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Notice, Abraham acknowledges that he is greater than him by giving him a tithe, a tenth. He's in a superior position. He's He's not inferior in any way. He's giving a tenth part of everything that he took from that battle. And he's giving them to this king-priest. That's an interesting thought. Even some of these things should be triggering in the minds of the, the, the Jewish believers. They remember Messiah was to be a king-priest. And, and here, Melchizedek is a king-priest. He's a king and a priest. A king, of course, rules for God. A priest represents us before God uh, and brings blessings to us from God. Uh, And so these two uh, lines are not usually mixed unless we come to the anointed one, the Messiah, where they're brought together, prophet, priest, and king. And then also, uh, first he's translated king of righteousness and also king of peace. Um, King of peace, king of seal and king of peace. Now, this is interesting because I think it's telling us something about the character of Melchizedek here. Um, It's referring forward, of course, to the Lord Jesus, who is both righteousness and peace, uh, marks him. And the one who is the high priest for them, who is both merciful and faithful. Merciful, I think, ties up with the idea of peace here. He's king of peace. Uh, Faithful ties up with the thing of righteousness because the Lord Jesus, to be our high priest, he must um bring us into God's presence that he it needs there needs to be a righteous way for him to do that He has to be a righteous, a just high priest, but he also must be a merciful high priest. It's not good enough for him to just be merciful in the sense of being able to come alongside. Uh, That's important. It's vital in the the priesthood. We've already seen that. But he must also be faithful to God in the doing of it because he can't bring us close unless he comes to God in the right way. And that, of course, is exactly what the Lord has done. So there's something, there's a play here on on the kind of character of Melchizedek in the background here, one who's righteous and one who is uh, marked by peace. But notice in verse number 3, he's without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now it's much more fun to have this in a Bible study because we can tease out what this means in a little bit more detail. But on on a podcast we just have to rattle on. So what we have here is in the book of Genesis, which is absolutely packed full of genealogies. You go and look at this yourself. Uh, Everybody's birth and death recorded, everybody's lineage recorded, and yet we have this man, Melchizedek, who mysteriously just flits across the page of Holy Scripture, and it doesn't tell us about his father, mother, and his or his genealogy. It doesn't tell it just appears he doesn't have a beginning of days or even an end of life. And in that sense, he is made like the Son of God. You'll see what's happening here. He is he is purposely placed early in scripture to point forward to a greater than he who is coming who will take this priesthood to its fruition and then he says remains a priest continually because you see one of the things about the Aaronic priesthood is you never you remember Aaron came to his death you remember what happened there you Remember, he was taken, and, and his his clothes were taken off him, his priestly garment, and placed on the sun. Why? Because it was being transferred. The priesthood didn't stay with Aaron. and it went on to the next one. But we never read that about Melchizedek and his priesthood. No, no, we just we just learn that he was this. It doesn't say about a lineage or a succession or a, a you know passing on to son or him dying or anything like that. And so there are all these things in this description; they're just latent. And, and as a Jewish believer. They they would listen to these things and say, wow, this priesthood that the Lord Jesus Christ has, that the Messiah has, it's really fascinating. And I think that's been left with a kind of, there's so much in this passage, in this paragraph, which is not unpacked as yet, but there's a description of Melchizedek given, and it points forward to the character and to the office and to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's made like unto the Son of God. Notice the implicit Confirmation that the Son of God is without beginning of days or end of life. This points to the deity of the Lord Jesus. He has no beginning of days. He, his, his length of time is from everlasting and to everlasting. Anyway, the description of Melchizedek. Let's move on to the next section. Look at the dignity of Melchizedek. Now consider how great this man was. To whom the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. He said, let's stop, let's kick into neutral, let's think about this. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now, this is Abraham. This is the greatest man, pretty much, in the Old Testament. Moses perhaps could vie for that position, but really, as far as the nation, he's the patriarch of the nation. He's the the father of, of, of all those who believe. Uh, even those who are in uncircumcision, it tells us in Romans chapter 4. So these, this absolutely great man who was given the promises. He, he got the Abrahamic covenant and all those promises, promises of blessing to the seed and to the land. And, 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 and to through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You'll remember that. And you say, could there be anybody greater than Abraham on planet earth at this time? Well, there was. There was. There was a man. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi. Um, sorry, maybe she just mention here. Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. In other words, he gave a tithe to him. He acknowledged his superiority, and and then he tells us a little bit about the sons of Levi. That that's the the sons of Levi being the other priestly family, the Levitical priesthood. The sons of Levi had within the sons of Levi, of course, the Aaronic family, uh, the family of Aaron. Uh, And from the family of Aaron came the priests, and the rest were were Levites, and they served the priests. So the whole priesthood, in a sense, was the Levitical priesthood. Those sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. In other words, they were, in a sense, more important than their, their compatriots from their brethren though they came from the loins of Abraham. So in other words, there was a sense in which inside the restrictions of the Abrahamic family, inside that, those restrictions, they did have a place of dignity and they had a place of superiority in a sense. Um, notice something else here. <clears throat> but he whose gene- genealogy is not derived from them In other words, Melchizedek, he doesn't come from the Abrahamic family at all, received tithes from Abraham, the patriarch, the the beginner of that whole family, and blessed him who had the promises. He's trying to emphasize how great he is. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. I've already said that. Uh, Here, mortal men receive tithes. But there he received them, of whom it was witnessed that he lives. In other words, the very structure of the passage suggests this permanence to Melchizedek. He just flits in and off the It's as though he continues to live. And yet, of course, that was never, never seen with a... The very opposite was seen with a, the, the family of Aaron. They were to die, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. They were seen to be mortal men. They were, that was really emphasised in Scripture. And so, again, this is telling us something about the superiority of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Even Levi, that's that's the one from whom they came, the son of of Jacob, of course, uh, from which the Levites came, from which the priests came. Even Levi, their their father, their forefather, who who received tithes from, from his brothers, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. In other words, it's just as though he's saying, listen, Abraham, when he pays tithes, it's as though his whole family, in that sense, is paying tithes. For he's still in the loins of his father when uh, Melchizedek met him. So now there's a number of things we, we get from this. What we, what we find out from this is simply um, Melchizedek is superior uh, in rank to Abraham and um, in that sense, also Melchizedek, a superior rank to the, the Levites or the Levitical priesthood by, I mentioned here, scriptural inference, mortality, and also through their ancestor Levi. We'll not go into that in any more detail, but there's this dignity. You can see that's very clear from the passage. Let's move on to the third section because that's where the, the meat of it all is. So, now what he's going to do is he's going to stop and, and, and kind of think of Christ's priesthood now, specifically him as the, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's going to move from Genesis 14. He's told us everything we need to know from those passages. He's going to take us over to Psalm 110. Uh, and when he comes to this Psalm, it's really the Psalm specifically about the Messiah. Uh, you go read it for yourself, Psalm 110, it's just a wee section in the middle of it where it's pointing out the that the, 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 the Messiah is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. But before that it says that God swore by an oath. Now, these are significant things as we're going to see uh, as we look at this passage. This is what he says in verse number 1, the distinctiveness of Christ's priesthood. I should say verse number 11. We're going to see from verse eleven to nineteen that the new priesthood supersedes the old. It, it it has to supersede the old. It's more important, and it actually replaces the old priesthood. This is really important that we get a grasp of. You, you can see, you can imagine the Jewish Christian at this time, and and he is one thing to kind of keep ties with his family and keep ties with Judaism, and say, are we not just kind of like a sect? Are we just, Are we not kind of a Uh, Messianic Jews, as we hear about today. Uh, Can we not just kind of hold on to kind of the ironic things and all these things? Can I stick with the Jewish high priest also? And the answer is going to be quite unequivocal at this point that they can't. They cannot. Look at verse number uh, 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what need was there that, there should be another priest who should rise according to the the order of Melchizedek and not be called... Sorry about that phone call. Um, Dealt with. Coming back to the passage. There's that sense of, can we stick with this Jewish high priest? Well, let's think about it. What's it talking about this perfection here? What is perfection for a priest? What is it? Uh, To be... um, Perfect as a priest. Well, a perfect priest or is a priest that brings you right into God's presence. Okay? Uh, it's so that you can draw near to God. The idea of a priest is a mediatorial idea. A priest brings you to God. Um, if you don't get there yourself in that sense, he represents you before God. But in a sense, you are there in God's presence. Now look at the end of verse number 19 for us to catch what's happening here. Uh, Verse number 19, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So this idea of perfection is, the Jewish priesthood could never do this. They could never, perfection meaning the idea of completeness. They couldn't do the job that a priest ultimately wants to do. And it's bringing the people right in before God in in his own person in that sense. And of course, the, the ironic priesthood just didn't, it had limitations which didn't allow that to happen. I mean, there were walls everywhere. There were, you know, only the high priest could go in one day every year into the immediate presence of God. Only one person. Uh, the rest of the, the the priestly family could go mill around in the holy place and, 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 and in the tabernacle court and so on. But But in that sense, there was wall after wall, there was restriction after restriction that stopped people from getting right into the, the presence of God. So let's not get too hung up, uh, the writer's saying, let's not get too hung up on on you being brought into the presence of God by the Aaronic priesthood because it's not going to happen. The, the perfection is not through the Levitical priesthood. For under the people received the law, If if it was by that, what further need was there that there should be another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek not be called according to uh, the order of Aaron? You'll notice at the bottom, um, we have verse 11 to 14, um, I think, the fact of a different priest. The fact of a different priest. In other words, the fact that there's this other priest and, and, and the Messiah is going to be another kind of priest after the order of Melchizedek suggests that this priesthood is time limited. It is not the final be-all and end-all of priesthood. For the priesthood being changed, according to Psalm 110, look at it again, there is of necessity also a change of the law. What's that mean? Well, what he seems to be saying is this, that, well, remember the whole of the Old Testament is based on the Levitical priesthood. Well, if we're saying that the Messiah is going to be another kind of priest, then we know something else. We know that a lot of those laws and so on are are in that sense time limited as well. They they are specifically for the Aaronic priesthood, and and the reason why we know this is that the Lord just just isn't a priest after the order of um, Le- uh, the Levitical priesthood. Um, He's not a priest after the order of Aaron. He cannot be. That's the next point he makes. For he of whom these things are spoken, in Psalm 110, belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So we know, therefore, that the priesthood and the Old Testament side of it, in that sense, what is said about priesthood is, has a limitation on it. It's going to be moved on in the Messianic age because it cannot be that the Messiah comes from the Aaronic line. For it is evident that the Lord came from Judah, the kingly tribe. And it is yet far more evident, not only the fact of a different priest, but the nature of this different priest, look at verse number 50, is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a flesh and the commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Now, what is he saying here? He's going to say, well, think about it. Melchizedek was very different in character and nature to these priests, what we learn about them. They were all associated with being given us through, through just a, a flesh, a commandment of nature that... When someone dies, you'll take their place. That was the way it was. And then when you die, someone will take your place. And when you die, when they die, someone will take their place. In that sense, that was all it was. But this person, the Messiah, and we see him in Psalm 110 as exalted and God's right hand, look at Psalm. This person has been given it according to the power of an endless life. You'll listen to what it says. You're a priest, underline this, you're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So we know from this, not only that the new new priest supersedes the old because of a different priest coming, but also the nature of this priest. There isn't going to be another one. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Now let's see the explanation from verse eighteen to nineteen, and then we'll move on. Now I know this is a lot to take in. If you have the, the PowerPoint slides, and I'll maybe put them at the end of the handout uh, for those who want to download the handout. I, I I've put this. I put a little picture of a, a plug, and it's a wrong um, the wrong uh, plug socket, uh, the wrong for the pl- the wrong plug for the plug socket. Uh, they're incompatible. And really, this is what I think he is teaching at this point. Can I stick with the Jewish high priest as well? You can't because the Jewish high priest is incompatible with um, all that we have in Christ now. And in that sense, you can't stick with him. The old law is going to be set aside and a new hope in the gospel Brings us near. Look at verse 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. It had a purpose. Its purpose was to point forward to a greater priest. It had a purpose. Its purpose was through the sacrificial system to point forward to the great sacrifice. It had a great purpose. In that sense. But it was only in that sense. It is not the be all and end all. It is not the perfect answer to your problem of drawing near to God. In fact, it can't do it for you. It's marked by weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. It can't complete you. It can't bring you into God's presence perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, that's the gospel. Look back at chapter 6 if you want to look a little bit more at this hope that he speaks about here, uh, which hope we have as an anchor to the soul, and so on. Look back at that previous chapter for more details. Now, let's move on to the last part of this chapter. Not only do I have the distinctiveness of Christ's priesthood, emphasizing that the new priesthood supersedes the old in all these different ways. But also, um, the implications of this distinctiveness are that, that Christ's priesthood is infinitely superior. It's superior as to the promises. We'll see that in verse 20 to 22. It's superior as to its permanence, verse 23 to 25. It's superior as to the person and work of the priest himself. And it's superior because he has been perfected forever. So that's where we're going for the last little bit of our study tonight. Let's look at the first bit. Superior as to the promises. And inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he is a priest with an oath, By him who said to him, the Lord, now notice this, he's just developing again, Psalm 110 in a little bit more detail. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, there are superior promises associated with this priesthood. The old priesthood had not these superior promises. You'll notice in this section we read of an oath we read of, um, we're going to see a better covenant, verse number 22, uh, and a surety um, that that he's a guarantee or a guarantor. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. Why why would he be the surety of a better covenant? What's he meant by that? That's why, really, if you want to get a handle on this whole section, um, if you get an understanding of several words and several expressions, Words like priesthood, law, perfect, oath, covenant, sacrifice, sanctuary, tabernacle, mediator, the holy place. If you understand those things, blood and drawing near, these these terms are all interconnected. And you need to know the vocabulary before you can form them into um, the argument and understand the argument. So unfortunately, a podcast will not cut it for all those things. So he's become a surety of a better covenant. Why? Because he has been made a priest with an oath. God has sworn, listen, you are the priest. Nothing can stop that. I mean, you think of the priests in the Old Testament. You'll remember Aaron's sons. They were going to be priests after him until they transgressed. And and, and you'll remember that they never fulfilled their priesthood. They died before the Lord. eh, Read Leviticus. And, And... you say, well, they didn't have an oath that they were going to be priests. No, they didn't. They just knew that when their dad died, it was if they were there and they were the eldest, they would be the one that was next in line. But of course, God could intervene and take them away. God could enter in and, and they would never be priests if he took them away by death. But they have become priests without an oath. But he has with an oath become a priest. The Lord has sworn. Before he ever came into this world. The Lord has sworn and he will not relent. Speaking of the Messiah and resurrection. He says you are a priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. So therefore this has been granted to the Lord forever. Nothing can change his priesthood. He has the oath of God. He is the priest. He is the one who can bring us into God's presence. He cannot be changed and will not be changed. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. Now he's going to unpack this in the next chapter, but let's stop for a minute. You see, the old priesthood was associated with the old covenant, with the Mosaic covenant, which was all about you do this and, and God will fulfill his side of the bargain. But of course, people could never fulfill their side. It was a bilateral, it was a, a conditional covenant. And so we find that the priesthood broken and the people broken in the out of the land. Why? Because they couldn't fulfill their side. Why? Because sin had ruined them. But now Jesus is assured, he's a guarantee of a better covenant. What is the better covenant? Well, in the context, the better covenant, of course, is the new covenant. Now, the new covenant was made with Judah and Israel. We'll find that out um, in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But what was that covenant? What were the terms of the covenant? Your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more, forever, forever. Um, and it's all about what I will do. God speaking, I will remember them no more. Um, I will write my laws in your hearts, and so on and so forth. And so the, the very character of that new covenant, it's a grace covenant. It's all about what God was going to do, irrespective of them. If they were part of God's people, they came into the blessing of this new covenant. Now, let's stop here, because we we're associated with the new covenant. Now, we're not part of the new covenant in the fullest sense that the Jews are in a future day, but we're new covenant in character. The grace aspects of that covenant are ours. God, we're going to read that later on in Hebrews. God has said that your sins and your nechities will I remember no more forever. God has brought us into the good of a lot of these blessings of the new covenant. And so, Do do we have a guarantee that we have them? Yes, we've got a living Lord. We've got a great high priest in God's presence. And so here we have Jesus, a surely of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests before, because, uh, verse 23, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an untransferable priesthood. Now, this is wonderful. He's not only superior as to the promises he can bring to us. The, the the We'll think of this next time. The covenant and all that it means. But he's superior as to the permanence. The permanence. Uh, of his place. Of his position. You think of it. You think of what it was like for someone like Hannah to go up. And, and, and there was Eli. And well, he wasn't great, but he was there anyway, and, and he eventually listened, and he wasn't great at that either, but he eventually listened. Um, you imagine if if someone went up like Helen, and you were a Jew, and, and you went up, say, and you told the high priest all your problems, you asked him to pray for you, to remember you, to represent you, you in, in God's presence, and, and you went away assured that he would, and then uh, having been burdened about it all year, you come up the next year at the feast and you go along and there, there's another man there. He doesn't know you. He's younger and he doesn't understand your problems and, and maybe he has less time for you and whatever. But you see, you would have to re-explain everything to him and maybe he wouldn't be listening anyway. But you see, that's not true of the Lord. Sure it's not. Because he continues ever, he has an untransferable priesthood. The priesthood doesn't transfer to another. It's his. And it's his forever. And and when I come to the Lord Jesus in prayer, when, when I bow before uh, the throne of God, I know that there's one in God's presence who knows me. Not only he knows me because he's God, but knows my every experience of life he has walked with me the whole way he has been there for me the whole way and he has an untransferable priesthood he is always able to bring us into God's presence that's why it says in verse 25 therefore he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them he's there forever for his own he'll there will never be another one there he always knows our problems. And when we say something to him 10 years ago, he knows what it is. He understands it even now. Isn't that wonderful? Now we're going to see the superiority of his person and work. For such a high priest was fitting for us. You'll see why he says that, won't you? We needed this kind of high priest. The other one wasn't any use. You really think about it. In these days, a generation back or so, they had Annas and Caiaphas. That was their high priest. They kind of swapped. Politically, from time to time. That was a high priest. Imagine coming to one of those. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel, says the scriptures. What you need is a priest with mercy. (laughs) Well, but what kind of high priest do we have? What kind of high priest? Is he like those priests that you have there? Why would you want to hold on to one of these earthly high priests? With all their feelings and sins. What? such a high priest was fitting for us he's holy <laughs> well they certainly weren't that he's harmless without guile and without fault and flaw undefiled, separate from sinners and he's become higher than the heavens so, they got their hands dirty with everything Ananas and Sapphira or Ananas I should say Anas and Caiaphas I should say Sorry, they got their hands dirty with everything didn't they even paying off Uh, The traitor himself. That's the kind of people they were. What about our high priest? And he does not daily like those high priests. Need to offer up sacrifices. You see these old high priests. They had to sacrifice uh, for their own sins then for the people. But this when it comes to sacrifice. He did once for all. When he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests. Men who have weakness. But the word of the oath coming back to this idea of God moving with the word of the oath, which came after the law. It's superior in that sense. It's replacing. It appoints who? It appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Now, in what way is the Lord perfected? He is completely furnished for the role that he now plays as our great high priest. Now, what a distinct priesthood he really has. Isn't it wonderful that we have one like this, and he's in God's presence for us. On his heart, our names are graven, and on his shoulders, we are born. Thank God for the priesthood of our Lord Jesus. You'll remember the picture of old. Genesis 14. It tells us a lot, you know. Just as Abraham comes away from the great victory against those, those kings. And he's coming and, and there's a temptation facing him. And the temptation that's facing him is the king of Sodom coming out to try and have an unholy alliance with him. And just before that happens, before the temptation strikes, there steps in the king of Salem. The king of Salem comes before the king of Sodom. And he blesses Abraham and he speaks to him about the most high God. By the time Abraham makes it to the king of Sodom. He's been bolstered and he's been protected from falling and from temptation. That's what's happened. That's what the Lord does for us as the high priest. He preserves us from sin. When we do sin... We do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. But the Lord Jesus is our High Priest. He can prevent that sin even occurring. Isn't that wonderful that we have such a person in God's presence for us? May the Lord bless what has been of himself. Shall we just commend ourselves to God in prayer? Father, we thank thee for thy Son in his name. We thank thee for this great High Priest, We thank thee for one who is there in thy presence for us in his name. We thank thee. Amen.